Oh, where's my coffee? Hold on. <laughs> when are we starting this thing? Why are we up so early again? Right. Oh, we're recording now. Okay. Go. So, Go. sorry. Yeah. Uh, Code and Blocks, episode tw- 212. It's early. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's another one of those like ridiculously stupid early morning show uh, episodes. So, you know, you're welcome. It's like 11 a.m., guys. It's uh, not 11 a.m. <laughs> it's lunchtime. It'll probably be 11 a.m. by the time we're done. <laughs> hey, hey! so I'm, I've got to pick it up. I can't do it. Like, I have anxiety now. Um, subscribe to us on <laughs> iTunes, Spotify, Stitchify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Uh, and also leave us a review if you can. And visit us at CodyBlocks.net, where you can find our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. Somebody got to take mine now. Or I'm going to do them all. Oh, uh, send your feedback, questions, and rants to uh, Joe at Slack. Ooh. And uh, works. follow us on Instagram at Twitter. All right. Hey, uh, we got a website. Uh, and it's up 59 out of 60 days a year. So uh, you can check that out most of the time. And uh, it's pretty good. A That's year, like the huh? entire year. Oh, did I say a year? I'm sorry. I meant just 59 out of 60. I guess I don't know, that's probably right. Uh, it's that's fine. Good. All right. With that, it's 11 a.m. I'm Alan Underwood. It is not 11 a.m. Uh, and I'm close enough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is going to be a good one, guys. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so you know those other two guys. Um, we got a review, and I think uh, – it's been a while, so Outlaw, you're probably a little rusty on saying these names. <laughs> you want to give it a shot? It's like the Godfather. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Uh, yeah, so uh, thank you uh, from iTunes, Rior Edwards. I'm hoping I'm yeah. pronouncing that right. I, I think you did, man. Okay, thank That's you. pretty good. Um, yeah, sure thank you not. very much. Oh. I think it might be Rio Redwards. Oh, he might be onto something. Oh. <laughs> this is possible to tell it's all lowercase i mean i think outlaws good. actually contemplated <laughs> like, like my mind like a little bit exploded when you said that because i'm like wait how did he get to that oh now i see it and i can't unsee it yeah. uh, it's impossible to tell well anyway uh thank you for the great review really appreciate it uh you know we uh we live off those things so uh thank you very much maybe that's why i'm so sleepy we have gotten so few yeah, we're not living anymore. Yeah. So, hey, if you got a minute, you know, come to us on that slash fuse. We try to make it easy for you. You can wake, uh, us, up. wake us up. That's Bring right. Us back to life. Save me from myself. Um, All right. So we got a mixed go. bag today, right? Yeah. So, so, so who's kicking us off here? Uh, if I could stop singing Evanescence, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about exceptions versus errors in Java. Wait, is that a problem? It's a problem. Of I mean, singing, it can be a problem. Singing Evan Evans? That's no, Evanescence. That's not a problem. The new Did stuff, you know. Yeah. I haven't heard the new stuff. I like the old stuff. Yeah, old stuff's good. <laughs> uh, new stuff's fine, you know. Fine. Uh, anyway, so exceptions <laughs> for the errors. So, um, you know, we had a problem the other day, and Ryan, we've talked about Ryan before, uh, friend of the show. Um, he said something that I should have known was like foreshadowing. Like, if this was a movie, you know, this would be like a clue. He said, Yo, there's that thing in .NET where like, if you run out of, uh, if you run out of memory, like you can't catch that exception like you would like a normal exception. And uh, I wonder if Java's like that. And I said something like, yeah, you know, maybe I don't know. I should look into that. And then I didn't. 
And then like a week later, I wish I had. <laughs> is that it is like Java. So Java, uh, there are two types of things that can be thrones, thrown. <laughs> uh, exceptions, which are things like no pointer exceptions, integer overflows. Most things that you get are going to be exceptions when you talk about, you know, try catch and stuff that you're worried about. But there are also errors. And errors and exceptions don't share uh, like a inheritance path. So if you do a try and a catch and you catch all exceptions, you are not catching any errors. And errors are things uh, like out of memory error, stack overflow error, no class def found error. And these are serious problems that always result in a termination of uh, you know whatever thread that you're in. And it's similar to an exception that, you know, something bad that happened in crashes. But uh, in general, the advice is to not catch them. Okay, so this is where my head blows up. And this is where you need to share a little bit more on the advice not to catch them. So I'm thinking if you're running on the main thread, that's good advice. Because it blows up, your application crashes, life is good, right? Yep. However, if you're running on some sort of background thread, it just disappears and you have no idea anything happened. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So so this advice to not catch them is not great advice unless it's running on your main thread. Yeah, totally. So that's the that's the normal, you know, kind of out of the box advice is uh, you don't want to catch this stuff because it means your application is in a, a bad state and it needs to crash. And so I think that the advice is more, I should have said, maybe you shouldn't handle these exceptions. You shouldn't try to continue if you get an out of memory exception or a stack overflow or sorry, out of memory error, stack overflow error or no class that found error. Uh, you need to shut down because your app is in a, uh, your thread is in uh, in consistent state and can't continue. Uh, but like you said, if it's in a background thread, well, uh, that's going to uh, ultimately end up with the thread getting terminated. It's going to close down. And if you're running in uh, something like, um, I don't know, like a web server or there's a various different ways to run things in background tasks. Uh, and you may not even realize that you're running in a background task if you're using some sort of library. And if that thread gets terminated, then you might be blind to the problem because it's not going to crash the app. It's just going to feel like it disappears. And that's the case where you probably want to have a try and a catch. And you want to catch that error and attempt to do some sort of logging or something. Now, if it's the out of memory error, you may not be able to log. So, you know, you still got problems and, you know, something to kind of watch out for. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, this deadly blind spot. Hey, so what's the answer there? If it's an out of memory error, does that mean that you now have to um, investigate something at the JVM layer, or or what is that? Yeah, so if you uh, have an out of memory error, I, you know, I'm not really sure how uh, thread memory works. Like, if you know, each thread has its own kind of little pool, but I don't think so. I think it shares like the same heap. So you might have something here where like uh, a background thread uh, runs the heap out of memory and then it dies. It's uh, the thread gets terminated. Its resources get. Uh, Re-added, and so maybe your heap recovers and you don't even know unless you had like some sort of good you know alerting or monitoring uh set up that you even ran out of space and when i say good i just mean that like you're even looking at you know heap space specifically like uh you know your heap space could fill up on java without actually filling up the memory on your you know pod or your actual computer that's running on and so i think most people probably don't have alerts on things like heap size or stack size in a java application because you know why would you Hey, so so check this out. Like to give a little bit of context to this, the reason why this is such an important one that he found is 
we had a situation where we had an application that was running and it just wasn't doing what we thought it should do. Right. Like it, it was going slower on processing things than what we thought it should. And we never saw an error anywhere. It just, but, but you'd see it redo the same thing over and over. And it was like, wait, hold on. Like, why, why am I not getting anything? Like we had layers of try catches, right. With specific catches for specific things that we were looking for. And then we had a catch all, you know, catch exception and it never hit. So we were like, man, something's going on. And then Jay-Z found out, I think by putting a break point in somewhere and just seeing it happen, like you wouldn't even known about it if you hadn't put the break point in the, in the specific spot that you were looking for. Correct. Yeah. I was going down line by line. And what would happen is it would eventually get up to a line and it would just kind of go off and spin. And then I would see a break point hit higher. But I wasn't working in a multi-threaded situation. I was running uh, with a third library that kind of like owned and managed that sort of thing. So I just thought I was like, you know, maybe this is the second thread getting picked up or this is, you know, like debugging is kind of a pain. But I started adding like tracing type statements and transaction IDs and that sort of thing. So I could kind of see and, uh, you know, so I, yeah, I had just had all, all sorts of fun. And yeah, it wasn't until I finally figured out, you know, this is not actually just going off and being hung or waiting or taking too long. I actually ran it in the, like the evaluate expression thing in, in IntelliJ and realized that, oh, it's immediately returning an error that's not getting caught. And my third, my thread is, temp- uh, is terminating. What the heck is going on here? Because I've got a catch right here for all exceptions. And, and it just happened to be a place that was kind of like a black hole for logs, too. So it was like this just weird thing where things looked like they were just getting hung, but they weren't getting hung. <laughs> they were getting terminated. And uh, I lacked the proper tools for seeing it. And so it made me think, uh, you know, obviously there's a couple things that went wrong there. Like uh, if I had been maybe looking closer at like the threads in IntelliJ, you can see some of that stuff or the resources. then I would have seen a thread getting terminated rather than getting hung. So the lessons learned all around. But I just thought that was uh, really interesting. So is the takeaway then like, okay, it's fine to have your, your catch exception, catch all for your exceptions, but also include like a catch error. And then that way you can catch these specific situations and maybe exceptions you choose to recover from and, and continue going on. But in your error catch handler, catch error handler, you, you would make decisions like, okay, let, let's shut it down. Let's throw up some kind of, maybe try to throw up some kind of messaging about why we're shutting down, but we're shutting down. Yeah. If you can, and it's possible if you get a stack overflow that you're not going to be able to do any sort of logging or do anything, but uh, it's definitely worth uh, you know attempting to to catch uh, those errors if you're in like a, a background thread, and also just knowing that it's possible for your <laughs> your try catches to not catch, which I think is a good lesson anyway. Because uh, you know even if you have a try catch, finally like if someone pulls the plug on a computer, it's possible for stuff in a try to not ever get into that. Finally, you know the application is going to try and and do everything it needs to kind of button itself up as it's crashing, but it's possible that your statements don't run when you expect them to. So here, go ahead. Here's another dumb question to follow up with. Could you put a catch in like, so we were in Kotlin, right? Could you put a catch and then any in there? Cause I would assume that error and exception both extend from object, right? They, they do. Yep. Yeah. So object could you then put, throwable. Right. Well, so could you error. catch object? You know, I don't know. Um, I didn't, I don't know if you can throw objects. I always thought it had to be like exception, which is kind of a special thing in my Bob, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't try. It had to be throwable. Yeah, it might be throwable. I'm going to, 
Which yeah, I don't know. Exception and error are the known. Oh, they're the only two. Okay, so then, so then, yes, try catch exception as a as the complete fallback on any specific exception, and then catch error as a fallback to anything that goes through those cracks. It looks like you can catch throwable. Right. So that's the common uh, interface. There's no uh, ancestor, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so that might actually be the... But that that implies that you want to handle exceptions and errors in the same way. The same way. Yeah, way which, probably which is why in my example that I gave before, you might want to like choose to shut it, try to shut down cleanly in an error state, but in an exception state, you might want to like recover or maybe maybe in your given circumstance, you don't care about the exception. And that's if you're even going to like want to catch. There's also arguments for not catching at all and just letting it bubble up to an outer layer. But in the case of this background worker thread, you know, it sounds like this is one of the specific cases where you need to catch. Yeah. Something. And it also kind of depends on what you're trying to do, right? Like if you're in a streaming world and you've got, you know, some sort of multi-tenant type process or something, you might not want one message to kill everything, right? Like you right. might want it to just kill that one background thread. So, you know, your, your situation may vary. Um, and, and whatever you decide to do obviously needs to fit along with whatever you're trying to do. But yeah, it, it was, it was a nasty one that snuck up on us. So I wonder if we can call this like, you know, the Yoda of programming, you know, cause there is no try. <laughs> there is only catch. There's only do like, no, he didn't, he wasn't able to catch. So that's why there was no catch. <laughs> yeah. You just do. Just do. Oh, yeah. Man. So fun stuff there. So that was a, a fun time. And now, uh, you know, in hindsight, like obviously I know of different things I could have looked at to kind of find this, but it's just a, a fun little adventure. So yeah. And, and C sharp does have similar things. I don't know about other languages. I mean, it sounds like the real takeaway from all this though, is just like the, <laughs> the quote joy of debugging, like large scale, uh, scale, scalable streaming applications, that are happening happening at scale multi-tenant like you know all of those types of problems and then you're trying to debug like one random problem right like why where is this happening yeah and what like it all looks like it's working why what's happening what's going on yeah i mean i say all that because like so a part of me feels your pain because that's what i've been dealing with all week trying to figure and i was and i thought like oh i think i've got it i nailed it like there's definitely like a part of the week midweek where i was like super confident like no nah, i got it I, I nailed it this is it this is what it was i figured it out don't worry guys you want to buy me a coffee that's good that's what, i get it <laughs> mm-hmm. i would want to too it makes sense uh if you saw how good this line of code was that i fixed you yeah. know because it's always like a line yeah and then and then hold up you said you know midweek i had that moment and then yeah one minute yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, the, I think yeah. all three of us had one of those weeks. It oh was, yeah, I'm. But mine's still week. going. Like Jay Z <laughs> got to a happy ending. He's like, ah, oh, look, if I catch error. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Fi- I mean, the error's not fixed yet. Yeah, no, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> We're now catching it. <laughs> yeah, now well, we know. At least, at least you battle. know what it is, though. That's 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 a far cry from where I'm at. Oh man. All right, yeah. so. Ironically enough, so we got a question from Javilaverde, Javilaverde, someone over on Twitter. Wait, man, uh, <laughs> this cannot go undiscussed. Wait, did Jay Z tweet hey. between you and me? Did you just hear Alan mess up a name? I did because yeah. I don't. Yeah. That might be a coding blocks first. 
That's a first time right there that but, Alan's messed up a name. In fairness, though, Twitter, you can just make up whatever you want, right? So I don't even know if this is a name, right? Like, whoa, Faraday is whoa. green in, in Spanish, so I don't know what J. Villa is. So, yeah. Or J. V. Illa. J. V. Illa. I don't like the way you're assuming that his name is a name. That's just rude. Yeah, that might be rude. Or her. Or or her, yeah. Hey, well, so, what's what's wrong with uh, you know casing things to show the words? Like, what's, what's I, wrong with okay, that? boomer? On, on <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just old. But you can capitalize letters in the middle of the word to let us oh, know where the you breaks want some are. Punctuation in there too, boomer. Is that yeah, what you yeah, need? That's right. Sorry, all texting on your phones, or whatever. And you know, the caps is annoying, but uh, uh, you know, throws the bone here. We got boomer twice in a show. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read this, uh, and and then we will attack it. So, hey, guys, it's me again. I was listening to the 1502.23 episode. We know that's from another country because none of us do months that way. Um, and by the end of it, you mentioned the Uber engineering blog. It got me thinking, how do you guys keep up with your data sources? I mean, keeping up with the new technologies, frameworks, best practices, insights from experience, articles, et cetera. I'm sure most interested people have their own process in order to routinely get quality info and keep up with the field, which might be challenging, but I would be very keen on hearing your take on that. And then he also says, as I'm writing this, I'm wondering if perhaps our Slack community is a better place for this question. Maybe it was asked there already. If so, I apologize. I imagine you are busy people, but I appreciate all the quality content you guys put out. I am really having a blast listening to your pods. Cheers. All right. So, the Slack community is a fantastic place to keep up with stuff, um, for sure, because there are amazing people over there that are always constantly dropping things on there. Um, so I would agree with that for sure. And then I don't know on the other ones. What are you guys' takes? Well, okay. I can't, my, my, my brain needs to like wrap my head around this first. Like which episode are we talking about? Cause I uh, thought that was 23. I thought that that would be. February 15th of this yeah. year. Yeah. But we didn't put an episode out on February 15th of this year. Ooh. It was either before or after. It was somebody else. So I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but to answer the question though, I, I think that it kind of happens just from like word of mouth. And that could be a variety of like whatever your community might be. So part of that word of mouth might be like somebody found, like a Spotify blog article and then that starts getting passed around work or maybe that includes your, your community includes like our Slack community that Alan mentioned or, you know, whatever your Twitter feed or hacker news or Reddit. Well, not Reddit anymore, but, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get oh, too, soon? <laughs> too soon. Uh, yeah. But I mean, honestly, I think that's where a lot of it, ha- it's not that like, at least me, I, I've never, maybe I've never had the foresight to be like, oh, I really like company X. I should probably go see if company X has an engineering blog. And instead, it's always like something that company X wrote starts making the rounds. And I hear about it from one of a variety of sources. Yeah. So I but- think, so the point is, sorry, but I think the point is, is that Mr. or Mrs. Green here is, is, you know, we are part of that community that they are, that they are hearing from. So, you know, it's getting past that. That's now part of their grapevine. We are part of their grapevine. 
Yep, and that's my answer too. Is uh, basically building that grapevine. If you don't already have it, like find people that are doing things similar to you, and you know, um, look the general channel of Slack is a good way to see the the most important general stories that come up in a day. But as you kind of drill in further and further into things that are closer to what you do, uh, then you'll see things that are kind of more niche. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to be uh, to to join and be a part of communities that are similar to things that you're doing because you find this sort of stuff and like. People share the info, and then when you see something cool that you think they would be interested in, uh, you share it too. Yeah, and and so I'll tag on a few other things on top of there. Uh, so our buddy John, also a friend of the show, he introduced me to Hacker News years and years ago. That's a great place to find out all kinds of random things that are happening. Um, Outlaw mentioned Reddit. You know, there was our programming and some things like that that were always interesting. Not anymore. And, yeah, I have, yeah, I'm curious about that as we come up here. Um, and then I, I, another one that I think is actually really good, uh, are like little conferences that you can go to, right? Like you'll find out about all kinds of stuff that you hadn't even thought about. Cause when you show up to the conference, usually they'll give you, you know, a sheet of paper, tell you an app to go to that'll tell you all the, all the sessions that are going on throughout the day. And you'll see stuff that you never even thought about, never heard of, whatever. And that's a great way to do it. So, you know, on top of all the other things that Outlaw and Jay Z said, those are those are really excellent ways to find out kind of what what's hot and what's happening. And that's just a long winded way of saying that Jay Z gave a talk at a conference recently on scaffold and GKE. You know, I missed it actually. What? Uh, what? Yeah, the COVID scare. And then it turned out I didn't have COVID, and so I, you know, sorry, but uh, yeah, didn't happen. We got to reschedule for August. Oh wow! Yep. All right, so kicking okay. them in the shins in two more months then. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you got another chance. Sorry, everybody. So, uh, d- you know, I don't know when you wanted to get into that Reddit comment, but just to follow up, did you notice that like Slash programming now is is gone private? Yeah, I thought I was well a member of others. it. Really? So I thought I was kind of surprised I noticed that today because I actually went to see what they had to say about the Stack Overflow survey and uh, noticed that I can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, you have to be invited to this thing now? Well, this is part of the protest that, you know, they've made it a private community and you can request to join. That's so lame. Yeah. And I think, um, I think programming humor is another one, if I remember right, that went. Oh, no, maybe not. What was the one I was thinking of then? Okay. Never mind. I thought, I thought that programming humor also went uh, private, but I'm. Well, I'm. So here's a good one. Um, DevOps has gone uh, not safe for work. So uh, I'll, I'll paste a picture if you go to r slash DevOps. Um, so you'll see every post is tagged with NSFW and people in the comments and the posts are all uh, cursing like sailors. What? Well, that was really? that was part of like the thing. So did you not hear the story stories this week about it? So what happened was that as in part of the continued protest, some of the moderators of some of the subreddits turned the channels into um, not suitable for work so that they could, or not safe for work so that they could uh, like not get, not be able to monetize it, you know, from a, you know, Reddit couldn't monetize it from an advertiser's point of view and Reddit on several big communities just removed all of the moderators. And then, you know, shenanigans went like happened as you might expect of an unmoderated, very popular subreddit, 
and then okay. they ended up re re adding some moderators back to some of the things. But there was an article on the verge. I was reading about it where like um, mildly interesting. Interesting is something that we aren't allowed to say on the show. Um, thanks. I hate it. And uh, other things that we can't say life pro tips um, like four, they were four big subreddits that, that Reddit just removed the, the admins removed the moderators because of their, because of this action that they took. And it might be, there might be other ones I don't, that I don't know of. That, so know, wait, this clicks. is really interesting. So the NSFW, they put it on there to keep Reddit from monetizing. Yeah. And they tagged it. And uh, yeah, if you look at the comments, uh, people are loving it. They're having a lot of fun uh, saying everything in as least safe way they can imagine. And I gotta oh, yeah, imagine. Smokes. I gotta imagine that the decision to take like programming uh, to a private community, like that type of. I gotta imagine that that's a similar type of decision to yeah. like limit who can, who who's getting in there from, so that they can, so that the moderators could impact Reddit at a monetary level. Is that's my that's my you know speculation on my yes. part. Yeah. There's uh, another community called Well That Sucks that I used to be a member of that would, uh, you know, just like bad things would happen. People would post pictures of it that were humorous. Uh, well, now they only allow pictures of vacuums. <laughs> yeah. And you've heard that several of them are now just pictures of John Oliver. Yeah. I've yeah, seen that. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, and yeah, I, Reddit's a mess right now. I'm trying to confirm. I, I, I could have sworn that um, programmer humor. Oh, maybe that's maybe I went to the wrong one. Was it programming humor or programmer humor? It's all a blur now. Programming humor, humor works. H U M O R, the English way, not the Canadian English way. I guess is what. Whoa, Canadian whoa, English. whoa, whoa! <laughs> whoa. <laughs> or, or wait, that might also be the British or British English as well, right? Isn't it funny that there's versions of English? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. both programming English. and programmer humor are not private. I thought they had gone. Pro- All right. I misunderstood. I mean, it's pretty funny. The DevOps channel. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's colorful, colorful language on every single post. Um, I'm not going to say it's funny. I'm going to say that this whole thing is rather annoying. It's sad. It's sad. They turned a useful platform into a hot steaming pile of garbage. And I honestly, like which side of this debate do you think you fall on? Go. So, so let's let's go back real quick to summarize from from last episode, right? Like it was the moderators protesting um because they were shut they, they were basically turning off APIs for companies to be able to use and, and other things, right? Like the, no, there was a they were charging. they were charging what charging was APIs. believed to be an exorbitant amount for their API access that was many magnitudes more than com- similar other services right so that's what kind of triggered all this right yes okay so man what's your take jc uh so i still don't understand why it's such a big deal for them to charge for the api no matter what the cost you know that to me doesn't seem like a big deal however uh people did get upset about it and the company's response to it was I was maybe aggressive or I don't want to say, you know, done poorly uh, because, you know, it's their company. They can do what they want. But the way that they interacted with the community of people that provide free content, 100 percent of the content for Reddit's website, uh, you know, 
it uh, didn't go very over very well with the people who use the service. And to me, it's just a lesson of like treating uh, your your users, your audience, and your content producers and your lifeblood uh, poorly is a poor decision, and bad things are going to happen. And so it's it's been interesting to watch. And so now I went from not really caring to uh, kind of siding with the uh, the the redditors here. So I've uh, actually blocked Reddit on my computer and phone. Just to kind of like keep me going, I found myself kind of um, going there, just kind of absentmindedly on the couch or whatever, like I used to do all the time. But I'm like, well, let me try not to use it for a little while, just you know, to kind of to help out here. So I, I agree with a lot of what you said. The the way I described it when you know we're sitting at the dinner table t- discussing this, because that's the kind of nerds we are. We talk about these things. <laughs> so, um, you know, in my mind. I made the I made the analogy of like I think Reddit was following in the footsteps of Twitter just ten years later. You know, basically, you know, because remember, Twitter was like there was a time where like Twitter was literally taught in school as like here you want to learn how to write code and you want to learn how to write something really cool that talks over the internet. We're going to write an application that interacts with Twitter, and it was like not even just like you know for rest conversations machine learning converse you know types of of learning like uh you know classroom learning you know so it was a variety of different types of topics that twitter was the de facto standard there for a long time and then eventually but as a side effect of that there were like so many third-party apps i mean like i remember tweetbot remember you know like pour one out for tweetbot right like there were a whole bunch of third-party apps that were great at interacting with twitter and then Twitter was like, no, 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 we, we want to be in control of our own destiny. We want to be the only app. So, you know, here's what we're going to do. And they communicated this out. You know, it was a, it was a, you know, a known thing that's coming. Right. So I agree that Reddit is, you know, it's no surprise that they decided to, oh yeah, we should also have, we are the official app, much like Facebook has an official app, you know, uh, well, I was going to say Twitter, but you know where that was the one we were comparing to. At any rate, so it may, it, it's no surprise here that they decided that eventually they want to do this. But like Jay Z said, the the real lesson here learned was the lack of or extremely poor communication. It seems from the part of Reddit into their community. And that then seemed like, hey, you're not treating that that manifested in itself in a way as like, hey, you're not treating your community, your community, you're not respecting the community that's helping to make you and not treating them fairly. And so that's where a lot of this seems to be blowing up and, you know, just like battle of wits. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I think I think I've I fall on the side of what you guys are saying with with the users mainly because of the moderators right like the, those people kind of got shoved out and it's like wait they've been providing their own time and free services to to help you do your stuff um but I also go back to like it's a business right it costs a lot of money to run this thing and when you have a bunch of apps you know, pulling from the same APIs or whatever that you're providing and I forget we said there were billions that were being pulled a day for one of those apps or something like that costs money. So I don't, I don't hate on Reddit for trying to recoup some of the costs that they've got there, but you, you got to take a better path, right? Like you, you have to figure out a way to not um, alienate the people who make your platform what it is. 
Yeah, there was a quote from the CEO where he he called out one of the companies and the numbers, and he's like, we're effectively, by not allowing us to increase our pricing, we're basically paying them yeah. to to have that app, to maintain that app, to access our our content. And he's like, well, why would we do that? We, we could just have our own, you know. Like that doesn't make business sense. So to your point, you know, it's their business. They can decide how they want to abuse or, you know, they, if they want to, let me rephrase that. It's their business, right? And, and as a business owner, you can decide how you want to treat your community, your community. And if you're, you know, you, you need to make enough money to survive and that's understandable. But there is something to be said for like being respectful about like how you work with your community. And, and like I said, I think the, I think the biggest thing here was the lack of communication, the, the timing, the, the 30 day window. Had this been a year, right. they'd said, Hey, we're doing this in a year. I doubt seriously, this would have happened, but because it, it was like, Oh, we're doing it in 30 days. I mean, the question is, and this is, this is something that probably nobody's going to know is what was happening behind the scenes. Were they looking at it being like, Hey, we're going to run out of money if we keep doing this. So we got to do it quick. I mean, I know it's not the same parallel as like a Twitter or, or a Facebook or whatever, but I mean, look at Docker. I mean, Docker was a tool that gained massive popularity over the past few years. And then they said, Hey, we're charging $5 per developer, right? This is coming up here in six months. Prepare. Um, we'll let you use it but you're going to be limited to the number of downloads or polls you can do. Um, you know, like they sort of stepwised it. It made it to where you actually had to think about it. And I, for better or worse, I think they did it right. You know, in terms of, Hey, we have a business we're trying to, to run. We're trying to add improvements to this platform all the time and we got to make money. Um, but yeah. we want to make sure that you guys have a chance to, explore other things or figure out if you're going to pay us five bucks a month to, to be able to use it. Right. Yeah. I mean like one of the big complaints from the moderators was that like, Hey, these tools that we, that are going to be killed as a side effect of this are tools that we rely on to do moderation because they have X, Y, Z feature. Right. And that's why I'd say like, if they had communicated this out to say like, Hey, this is going to happen in a year, then they would have had an opportunity to get feedback from the community to say like, well, Hey, these are the features we rely on. So that then they would have an opportunity, Reddit would have an opportunity to incorporate those features in their own tool set for the moderators to have. But because it happened in such a compressed schedule, then, you know, that that's where things went sideways, in my opinion. But, you know, this is crazy. I, I didn't know this was happening. This whole NSFW and, and, the, and taking things private and all that, like it's, it's sad. It might be why when I did a search on Reddit the other day, I got nothing useful back because everything's been blocked or, or turned yep. off or gone private. Because I, I seriously, I did a search that I would have expected to have popped up a bunch of stuff and nothing came back. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know how to search. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Hate it. So interesting times. Um. Yeah, I would I would post about it on Reddit, but. Right, right. <laughs> All right. So um, with that, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. You can find some helpful links at codingblocks.net slash review. And with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. It's time for Jeopardy Blocks. I don't know. I tried to do something (laughs) new there. That didn't work. That didn't work. 
I can admit my failures. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't bad, man. It wasn't yeah. bad. Well, he says it was like such a deep voice. It's time for Jeopardy. No, he didn't even say it's time for Jeopardy, right? It, uh, it's, it's Jeopardy, Jeopardy time, is what he says. It's Jeopardy time. No, that's not it. No, that's not it either. Trebek. Um. So at any rate, I thought we would try something different this time. I don't know, you you guys tell me if you hate this idea. If you hate it, we won't do it. But uh, I will give you, in true Jeopardy fashion, I will give uh, each of you six choice six categories to choose from, with price ranges from one to three hundred, four hundred, or five hundred dollars. And with the, um, well, we'll change the point values as we go along. But you get the idea. All right. Um, Wait, do we have to buzz in though? Like, no, 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 no. What we're going to do one per. Okay. Yeah. 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 This is why I'm saying like, I'm going to try to, this is going to be like a weird way to do this. But so this is episode two twelve to that because trademark rules of engagement. Jay Z would go first. So Jay Z would pick the category and the dollar amount that he wants to go for. Right. And if he gets it right, then that's his money. Boom. Alan, you would get nothing. Okay. Okay. But if he gets it wrong, that's negative to him, and you can choose whether or not you want to try to steal. Okay. okay. All right. So he has to answer. We have to answer ours, and we're we're going negative or positive, regardless. <laughs> well, n- n- how about we do it? How about we do it in like true to Jeopardy? Like you could choose to not answer. Okay. Okay. So you just say yes or no. I'm going to do it or not. All right. You want like, you want to try? It? Let's see how this takes us. <clears throat> all right. All right. So what I'm going to do here. Is I'm going to put the first five or six categories, if I knew math, um, out here off to the side in our little spreadsheet. So your categories are Jay-Z, Jeopardy and the Ten Rings, Telling a Bedtime Story, The Richter Scale, Same First and Last Letter, The Wild West, or Dion Warwick. I don't like any of these. Oh, geez. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, the pin is mightier is not one of the choices. Okay. Um, well, you're in, so, in your, your dollar amounts are 100, 200, 300, four or 500. Okay. Um, retro gaming for 500. That wasn't one of the things. Oh, then I'm screwed. Okay. Um, let's go with uh 10 ring. Oh, no, 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 no. I was you thinking nine rings. I know nine rings. You see the categories, right? You can see them in the spreadsheet. Just, oh, yeah. just in case. He's <laughs> just making up stuff. <laughs> that's why that's why I'm calling that out. That's why I'm calling that out. I think in Jeopardy they just make stuff up. I'll um, take Nintendo for five hundred, please. Yes, please. Uh okay, fine. Um this is Ronnie Dio Warwick. No, different person. Okay. Uh same first and last letter. Okay, dollar amount you want to go for? The highest. Okay, five hundred dollars. Five hundred. Okay. <clears throat> Same first and last letter. And remember, you got to answer in the form of a question. Wait, how much time does he get to say he's going to do it or not? I like can do the seconds? Jeopardy theme music if that's no, really no. I don't what we think no, no, do. not that long. It, it needs to be like the three <laughs> seconds on the on the regular category stuff. Right? Three seconds. Not okay. Three. Okay. A fancy design of your initials that use your that you use on stationery or clothing. Oh man, uh, I thought I knew the word for that, but it does not start with the same first and last letter. You get like ten seconds. Mammogram. Mammogram. 
I guess I could kind of. I. You can have it. Can yeah. Okay. Hey, Matt. A monogram. monogram. That's what I meant to say. It came out yeah, monogram. 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 It's just close. <laughs> All right. That was for five hundred dollars. <laughs> All right. Five hundred bucks. Yeah. All right. Telling a bedtime story. Five hundred. <laughs> no. 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 What? No, no, no. what? So your your choices your topics are oh you changed them Ooh. Queen oh. Elizabeth II direct me to the director <sighs> cats and dogs tasty phrases alphabetically last or our religion where each response will start with the letter R man um, let's do by the way these are actual Jeopardy categories and questions yeah i'm in trouble here let's do uh alphabetically last for 500 oh sorry your dollar amounts would be would increase because this is the second round so two four six uh eight or a thousand okay let's do alphabetically last 600 600 yep alphabetically last of james dean's three major films he would die a month before its release I don't know. <laughs> How about you, Jay Z? You taking a stab at this? Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm not way I'm not putting six hundred online for that. It's probably the only James Dean movie you could have named if I asked uh, you to name a James Dean movie. Couldn't name any of them. Rebel Without yeah. a Cause. Uh yeah. All right. Uh-uh. All right. So that's a that's a let me put a big old goose egg over here. That's alphabetically last? What? Yeah, man, uh, that doesn't even make sense for the category. Sucked. Uh, I guess maybe if you were to like categorize alphabetically list all of his movies, maybe Rebel R was the would be last in that list. Good lord! Wow. <clears throat> These are Jeopardy. Hey, man, you got to bring your A game. This is the Family Feud days are done. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to hear about any mommy stuff. We're past that now. We're on to Jeopardy. And oh, by the way, to take it easy on you guys. These are the celebrity level questions. <laughs> oh no! Oh well, that's why people knew James Dean stuff. Like I don't care about him. I thought the celebrity ones would be easier. Okay, here's the last category. You ready, Jay Z? Or the last set of categories, Jay Z? You ready? And these dollar amounts go from three hundred, six hundred, nine hundred, twelve hundred, or fifteen hundred. Okay. Here's your categories. Apologies. You're probably going to hate this. Books by funny people, the skeletal system, A B's workout, where each response starts with A B, fashion with Buzzy Cohen, and there's a champion host and snappy dresser with clues about fashion. That one's probably going to be difficult. Maybe for you. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's go with. Oh, geez. Uh, abs workout. Okay. And your dollar amount. Uh, I forget what they were, but something more than 400. It was 300, 600, 900, 1200, 1500, 600. Okay. When we talk about working your ab muscles, ab is short for this. Oh, come on. (laughs) I am blanking. Okay, good. (laughs) He's out of time. Oh, it's abdomen. <laughs> no. Ah, Dang it. it is That's not. That's the bug thing, isn't it? Abdomen? Abdominal. Dang. So ah. that is negative 600 for Jay-Z. 
All right. And positive 600 for Alan. So Alan walks away with it. I couldn't remember. It was abdomen or thorax. <laughs> I don't know about people. I know stuff about monsters, fictional monsters. Where are those questions? Wow. That I was, wonder uh, if I wonder if they would have accepted abdomen instead of abdominal. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm going to say they Definitely. wouldn't either. So I, I'm going to say that you lost that because of that. All right. Great. Yeah. I. I. So. So this wasn't a hit then. You guys didn't like this. I like it, except that I lost. It was all right. Yeah, I didn't hate it. Oh, okay. It's a little bit tough to do in this kind of format, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, I didn't right. think it was bad. Nice little uh, break from the yeah. monotony of uh, Reddit and uh, chat GPT discussions. Although yeah. I, I will say this reminded me a lot of Family Feud. Did this always bug you guys when you watched it that that whoever won the third round won the game? Like It, the, yeah. it didn't matter how well you did in rounds one and two. They were completely irrelevant. It was all about that third one. Okay, 30-second tangent rant time. You know what other game is like that? I hate it. You know, I'm not a sports guy, but I'll tell you, the worst sport for that, where all that matters is the end, is Quidditch. It doesn't matter <laughs> about all the other little hoopy hoops, because you catch that snitch, you get 150 points. And unless you're getting those, I forget what they call it, the beaters in through the hoops, whatever, when you're on your broom, uh, you need to do it like 15 times to even tie and the snitch is available pretty much at the instant, you know, the, the game starts. So, yeah, I mean, it's just stupid. Just everyone should just go for the stupid snitch. Um, I, <laughs> worst sport ever. I, I will agree. Uh, it is the worst, but for different <laughs> reasons. It's also the only sport I know the rules of. That's that's the, amazing. But, you know, though, like I did, I did decide to be nice to you guys and didn't like penalize you for not answering in the form of a question so you know this is your this is this is your your one warning game right and like next game you gotta like bring it but i was kind of surprised there and i almost hate to throw this strategy out there because alan's saying that it was all about the the first one and I'm like, mm, no, hey, I don't beg give to differ. up what he did wrong there in the third. Because, I know exactly what you're going to say. Because if I was Jay-Z, I would have purposely picked the lowest question possible. Yeah, 300. Because yeah, then if totally. I do know it, great. I get, I can, if, I, if I'm if i confident about it, I can get the extra money. But otherwise, I could just choose to not answer it. And then Alan is on, is like on the hook. He He needs it. But even if he got it right, it would do him no good. Yeah, Jay Z was nice to me in that round because I, I would have totally done the same thing and yeah, I would answer the question. We need some tension, dramatic tension. That's right. It, yeah. He he created it. I'm gonna have to work on these like uh, radio version of the of these rules here because this is this is flawed and um, you know. But but Jay Z's so nice. He you know wanted like he cared more about the show and wanted that that tension that war the world's tension there and i just yeah. want to win right it's you know? jeopardy time y'all <laughs> i would i would have gone for the jugular i would have been like nope this is about winning i'm hardy 500 to zero <laughs> lowest question possible yep totally so maybe maybe yeah. that's what i should do i should inflate the quite the answers or that the dollar amounts like go against whatever jeopardy does but inflate them so that like it you know the lowest amount is higher than whatever the lowest person's dollar amount is mm. so like you know the lowest the lowest dollar amount would have been like 600 
keep the tension on. I like yeah, it. to keep the pressure on you. Like you, you, you need to try. Um. All right. Or or we could just do it like you know, Jay Z got one, Alan got one, and whoever gets the third one, you know, it's two could work. best yeah, out of tip three. It over. Yeah, that's yeah. Not bad, take it yeah. as a best out of three instead of a dollar amount. Maybe we'll do it yeah. that way. Best out of yeah. three. Um. Okay. So, guess what? It's that time of the year where we ask for a review. Um. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, nobody. That was, <laughs> no, we're not gonna ask. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Somebody's just gonna do it. This is any rate. Maybe this was year. your topic, I thought, uh, Jay Z, but. Mike RG threw in that, um, reminded us that it's that time of year where Stack Overflow has introduced their, um, or released the results of their, uh, developer survey. Yep. 2023. And remember, we've talked a little bit about their demographics before. The kinds of people that use the site are not totally indicative of, you know, the world of programmers out there. We've seen before they tend to skew, uh, skew kind of heavy for .NET. I've never really understood why that was. Maybe Joel Spolsky or Joel, either Joel or Jeff Atwood, you know, kind of lineage or whatever. But it's it's kind of been that way forever. Uh, it's interesting. So just keep that in mind when we're talking about uh, some of these points. Um, now, the first section, of course, I had to zoom to was their new section on AI tools. Woo! You knew it was coming. Uh, 70% of all respondents said they plan on you. They are already using, or they plan on using AI tools in the development process this year. Is that a surprise? I don't think so. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. If you asked me to guess, I think we could have played a game there, but like, I think that that would have lined up. I think, uh, I think it was 40% are already using it. Like 30 are planning on it. It was 437 are already using it in 25.4 plan to. So yeah, I expect that number is going to go up next year. Uh, but 30% just said they're not interested, which is about what I would have expected, you know, based on talking to people. But that seems, uh, man, that seems so. Who are these so, 30%? Right. That seems really like, oh, there's this new tool that I could use, but mm, no, I don't it's need your whole... fancy. I don't need your fancy nail gun. I've got this hammer and I'm going right, to build that house. Yeah, it's like the biting off your nose to spite your face type thing, right? Like I don't I don't understand why you would just straight up say no. You should at least see what it offers. Can we right? can we discuss that for a moment though? Is it bite off your nose? I thought it was cut off your how do you how does one bite off their nose? Ooh, that's a good question. That was a wrong statement, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I assume you cut it off. <laughs> I mean either way it's graphic. It is pretty rough. But but yeah, why why would you just straight up be like, No, I'm not I'm not touching it. That that doesn't it doesn't make sense at all, does it? I think some of it's like people concerned about privacy issues and uh, you know licensing issues, or just kind of a moral opposition to AI in general. Um, and some people, I think, I don't know, curmudgeons maybe. Well, I was going to say there might be a, like a, a portion of that uh, percentage might be people that are nearing like retirement ages, and they're like, ah, I don't plan, I don't, I have That's zero fair. plans to use it. You know, I'm just going to. I, I've got you know twelve months or a year or whatever. Well, that is the same thing. <laughs> I'm good at math. I don't know. Have we met? <laughs> We've got 356 days left. However many days are in a year? <laughs> Sixty days a year. Nobody. Hey, but I think yeah, it's fair to see. I think it's fair to say that the three of us would be like, you need to at least try it to see what it what it could provide for you in your day to day, right? Like even if you're not going to use it for work or whatever. You need to be aware of what is out there 
and available for people to improve their productivity. Like you should at least know. Yeah, I'm sympathetic though because I swore I'd never get a cell phone, and uh, I was wrong about that. <laughs> and here you so, are. You know, sometimes it takes a minute. Things catch on. Now they did say that 82 percent of people that are learning to code plan on using AI, AI which is much higher. Um, but not as high as I would expect, and I expect we'll see these numbers go up next year. Well, I bet you're if you were to ask people that are already learning to code, not plan. Yeah. Wait, no, you did say people learning to code. Yeah, they yeah, kind of lumped it I, together. That's a lot. That one's a lie. People learning to code. I guarantee you that answer is like ninety eight percent. Yeah, they're doing their assignments already. That's <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, like think about it. I don't. I. All joking aside, let's let's pretend that we were, the three of us were back in university and you know you were given an assignment. If you had this tool at your disposal, wouldn't you at least ask it to like learn from it and then see like, oh, can I take what it gave me, tweak it and see like and then learn from its that building block, right? Like I'm not saying there's not a lot of value in learning to write something from the ground up from scratch. Sure there is. But uh, but I I just gotta believe that if you were a student these days, you're going to use every tool at your disposal. The internet is one of them, and oh by the way, on the internet is ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. So and let's, and let's be honest: when you're a student, you get tired of doing homework. So the quicker you can get it done, the better. So it is a good learning tool. But yeah, I mean, totally, you'd use it. Yeah, I would absolutely abuse it. Oh, sorry, use it, use it, <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh, interestingly, there's another question about um, the accuracy and whether they trust it. Um, I should change what I wrote in the notes. Uh, whether developers trust it or not. 40% said that they trust uh, AI, uh, trust the accuracy of AI, which I, I don't know. I think that's kind of – it's such a weird question to ask. It's like you ask me, like, do I trust it? But, like, I trust it to write something close. <laughs> I don't trust it to be 100%. So I don't really know how to interpret that, but forty percent uh, say they trust it. Yeah, this one's this one's weird, right? So they have highly trust, somewhat trust, neither trust nor distrust, somewhat distrust. Like, how do you uh, trust, trust it not to empty my bank account? I right? Yeah, I mean, me. I trust that I saw code get spit out and it sort of does something. <laughs> I yeah. can do what I want with it. I mean, there's no way I would trust it without testing it. Yeah. So like. It's not going to prod, it's, right? Like, to me, as soon as a, you ask, trust but verify. Like, okay, it gave me something. I'm not going to use it verbatim, like exactly as it is, even if that thing was Stack Overflow. Right? right. Yeah. 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 That's the trust thing's odd. And the actual question was, how much do you trust the accuracy of the output from the AI tools as part of your development workflow? And yeah, it's kind of all like, is there a 85%? You know, that's, right. that's about how much I trust it. Yeah. It's a, it's a starting point. It's kind yeah. of what it well, is. For, the, but, we've mentioned that before, but the, the, it was just five things. So it was like highly trust, somewhat trust, neither trust nor distrust, somewhat distrust or highly distrust. And honestly, I think that given the answer I just gave you, my answer would be somewhat in the somewhat distrust category. Because my inclination would be like, okay, I can start with this as like maybe a building block, but I'm not using it without testing it. And so therefore, because that's a trust but verify kind of scenario, that means I fall into the somewhat distrust, I think. I would have been in the somewhat trust. I'd have been on the flip of it, right? Like I somewhat trust it to even start with it. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be using it. Okay, so that's the 40%. So like 
you know, I guess maybe I'm being the pessimist and you're being the optimist. Yeah. Well, what's funny is like I could take your your justification out a lot. It's like it's going to give me something, and I'm going to be skeptical, and I'm going to test it. And I would say that's highly highly trust because I feel like I can take eighty five percent of it. So I feel like I would take your same thoughts on it and agree with it, and then give a different answer. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. Same thing. So His poorly worded question that we don't know how. So we can't interpret these these <laughs> answers because all of us would interpret the wording different. Well, yeah. let's ask Chat GPT whether it trusts it. <laughs> yeah i almost wish to like how useful and very useful not very useful so yeah mm-hmm. interesting uh, a couple of you know highlights so just go through quickly uh highest paid languages zig erlang rb scala lisp and f sharp hey that's uh interesting uh of course those uh those languages are pretty pretty out there pretty niche and so it's really hard to take anything away from that other than it's not that like f sharp developers are making bank it's more like there's not a whole lot of f sharp jobs out there and the ones that are out there are high paying and they're doing things that are pretty specific and functional programming and you know kind of interesting and so those why they they pay more but i don't think that means you should go out and learn zig right now because it's the top paying job yeah i would agree with that you you know if you're going to get into like a super niche area of computing then you know, there's there's a chance, depending on the demand of that that niche, that it could pay well, but might be uber hard to get into, uh, either because of like the resources to learn that thing, or you know the um, the competitive nature of the field. But then on the flip side, there's also like niche markets that you know aren't paying well at all because it's like a dying technology or something, right? Wait, what the heck is Zig? Yeah, I was just looking at. Like you guys read that, like it was nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think I ever heard of it. Well, it's it's what you do before you zag. So I just assumed <laughs> that we were all on board. Language. It's a general purpose language uh, for maintaining robust, optimal, and reusable software. Which sounds pretty great to me. Right? Sounds like every other language out there. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know what's interesting? So uh, on this on this range though, that's worth sharing. Zig is at one hundred and three thousand right and then if you go down to i don't know maybe about midways you're at about eighty one thousand or eighty thousand so i mean it's the highest paying technology i guess by 20 percent or by a little more than 20 percent but it's not like it's it's a huge discrepancy now as you go all the way down the list i do find it interesting that dart and php are they're at the very bottom like they're they're under sixty thousand. So yeah, and I do think uh, some of that is going to be you know the audience like this uh, yeah. the audience for Stack Overflow tends to skew like kind of back end programming I would say, and so maybe the people that do in PHP they're not using Stack Overflow they're not participating in survey the questions that they're asking on forums has to do more with uh, you know front endy type stuff or web type stuff or WordPress or they're going to other communities for these. Right. So you know it's skewed. I did uh, did see some. There was an interesting stat there for Delphi, which was uh, kind of near the bottom, but also uh, they they ranked it against years of experience, and so it was kind of sad to see that like it was high number of, high years of experience and kind of low salary, but still, you know, what I mentioned about communities, Delphi is an old language; it way predates Stack Overflow, and so Delphi programmers are hanging out in other forums. They have other ways to get their uh, questions answered without getting their questions closed, and so <laughs> I think that it's another example of things being skewed. What I want to see though is this. I'm, I'm trying to see if they have it because I could have sworn they did it in past years. Like 
where you would see this stuff plotted out as a chart because uh, I was thinking of like, is this the rise and fall? Like Python isn't, it's near the middle now. And I could have sworn that like it, it and JavaScript, I thought were near the top previously. JavaScript is below even C sharp. It's, it's in like the bottom quarter, but I'm not seeing that. Am I, am I remembering that wrong? Yeah. They Uh, used to have a way to compare to last year's results, but I didn't see it this time. Yeah. Well, okay, I do see where they had like the median salary for Python actually went up by like seven grand. So yeah, maybe I'm I was going to say right below the chart they have the change in salaries between twenty two and twenty three. I could have swore there was like a more visual chart though, not like a bar graph of like one you know one specific yeah. language. They but it was like all it. the languages. Yeah. Oh, here's a here's an interesting uh, tidbit. So, uh, frequency of visiting Stack Overflow. Uh, 92% of the people who did the survey visited Stack Overflow at least weekly, um, multiple times a day, 13%. I don't know that I hit Stack Overflow multiple times a day. Mm. Maybe if I'm working on a problem. Yeah, this week you probably did. Yeah, this week for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. But it makes me think it's kind of like the power users or like a very specific set of programmers that are answering the survey. Also would be curious, hmm, let me see. Uh, this year they answered, they had 90,000 results, 90,000 developers. Yeah. 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 That's what I meant to say. Wait, how about Ruby is, is now one of the top paying. Yeah. Interesting. I thought Ruby was on the way out a couple of years ago, but I've been hearing more about it. Really? So it may be fewer of them making more money. So all developers last episode, we were talking about, um, that story that came out about Stack Overflow seeing a decline, right? Mm-hmm. So in 2020, it was 65,000 developers that responded. In 21, it was 80,000. In 22, it was 70,000. So a decrease. And then this year, it was 90. So an increase. So it went up. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so that's why we can't have nice things. Yeah, the salary thing doesn't make any sense to me. The so list here. Were there other ones that you were going to call out here, or was that it? Before I uh, forget. Uh, so got a couple things on web frameworks I thought were interesting. Uh, Re- React way up there, not a surprise. Forty percent, Angular seventeen, uh, which is a you know pretty far rung down. Vue is under Angular. What's interesting is like if you look at like JavaScript surveys or other you know other surveys on other platforms, like you'll see Vue much closer to uh, React and usually higher than Angular. So it was interesting to see it ranked below here. I don't know if that's kind of the .NET skew coming into play there or if that's just you know how things are going now. I'm kind of out of that world, so I don't know if Vue's kind of hanging in there. But I've been surprised that Vue has been neck and neck for so long with React that it would be interesting now if suddenly React is pulling ahead. Well, I think the bigger story here <clears throat> is that jQuery out and outdid Angular. Yeah, sorry, Angular. Like that's to me the weird one. <laughs> like, I, I was, do yeah, agree I that the, the 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 gap between React and Angular is interesting because they. I thought maybe I'm remembering this wrong. Let's see if we can see what it was last year. But um, wait, where do you see it's outdoing it? So I'm looking at web frameworks <laughs> and technologies, right? Yep. And jQuery is number three. At twenty two percent, and Angular is number five at seventeen and a half. 
Do you have a chart that you can hover over the technology and it'll sh- like show you technologies that other people selected? And I did notice if you like hover over jQuery, it also has links to React and Angular. So it seems like people are using, you know, maybe they're supporting older software as well, or maybe they're using React with jQuery, which would be very surprising to me. How do you get to that? Uh, I forget. I didn't get oh, to see that. Oh, hold up. You're in a different spot. Most popular technologies. Is that now what we're talking about? I see web frameworks and technologies. That's where you see jQuery is at 21.98%. Yeah. There's a, so there's another spot on the page. If you just search for jQuery, it's web frameworks and technologies as well. But this is, it's got like these line, these line graphs to the right of it where it shows desired versus admired. Oh, that's like where, what that, that's the section below this one. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was like, man, what are you guys looking at? Okay. So that makes more sense. Yeah. Now. Cause in that, in desired versus admired, they're comparing things like JavaScript and Python and C sharp and Kotlin and rust and whatever. Okay. This, this yeah, was specific to, use, to right? the, what, what was that? It is want to use. So it's not people that are using together. They want to use them together. Yeah. Yeah, they have some interesting charts and stuff here on the page. Okay, so that 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 sounds more right. So people are there using uh, jQuery now, want to go use uh, something else. Yeah, yeah, want to use React. So, you know, I pulled up the twenty two results because I was curious, and yeah, I guess memory is the first thing to go because really these numbers are not inconsistent with last year's, or at least let me rephrase that: the position isn't. Okay. This year, it's you know going from first to one to five. Node, React, jQuery, Express, Angular. For last year, it was Node, React, jQuery, Express, Angular. And if it sounds like I said the same thing twice, it's because I did. <laughs> and literally, like the only thing that changed were, were the percentages. Like Node went down from forty-seven to forty-two. Uh, React went down from forty-two to forty. jQuery went down from twenty-eight to twenty to express from everything went down. Basically express went down from 23 to 19 angular went down from 20 to 17. So yeah, they all, they all went down. So something that means that something else is rising that we're not seeing here. Something else is bubbling. It's probably Django. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was a joke. Maybe. I think maybe it's just the fact that they also have like more stuff. So like the numbers got spread. Maybe people were like limiting their answers to like a certain number of frameworks, but now there's more frameworks to list that, that, that the stack overflow answer or questionnaire lists. So, you know, people were getting more specific. So, you know, Oh man, the dog's standing on my keyboard. Um, you want to know what's pretty interesting. If you scroll down to that, to that other one where it has the desired versus, um uh admired admired javascript is like leading the pack with everything and python's not far behind it but that's consistent with years past though right like, yeah um where's the equivalent of that in the previous one ooh i know i know that we're hijacking on jay-z's threads here but the the next one the desired databases and admired Postgres up at the very top. Yep. You're welcome. 
You're welcome, Postgres. <laughs> Outlaw. He's been out there screaming from the from the rooftops. I, I think I single handedly did that. So uh, just you know, to the to the Postgres community, um, you can send your gifts to me. Um, there's a um, mailbox listed on the coding box website. So you're welcome. Hey, Svelte. Uh, I'll probably get pretty... like elephant poo sent to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Ooh. surprised Svelte has taken off like it has. I remember we talked about it a couple of years ago, how it was like becoming very popular for very um, high performance sites and things. Um, it looks like it's actually gained popularity. I thought it was going to be one of those flash in the pan type things. Yeah. So, uh, same. All right. Well, other ones that you wanted to call out? Yeah, uh, last one, I just want to mention Docker uh, usage shown at 51% uh, for professional developers. Kubernetes at 20%, which is I thought it was kind of interesting to see a disconnect there. It's like people, some people are working with Docker, but not with Kubernetes. So I don't know if there's like a separate operations team where they're running Docker in other ways. Uh, and, you know, I know there's some cloud services that will just run a container, but it's interesting. Well, remember, you know, to run, you don't need Docker. You can run other containers Right. And, and there was that big kerfuffle like a couple of years back when Kubernetes changed to the open container standard instead of, uh, you know, they, instead of Docker, I think they moved specifically like to container D or whatever to be like, like for the more, runtime. Yeah. To be more standard compliant so that, you know, it, your container could be whatever. Yeah, but this is the opposite. This is where Docker is 51%. So more people are using Docker than our Kubernetes. That so where are they running? Me, though. I mean, no. if, if you think about our um, rise to Kubernetes, like we were heavily invested in Docker for a couple years before we really started getting into, you know, the orchestration platforms. Like, because remember, it was it was sort of a migration from Docker to using Docker files because, hey, we could spin these things up easy to where, wait a second, now we actually need to run these things in a production environment. So I could totally see developers using Docker heavily, like Outlaw and I have talked, we, we've we've basically done this. If I need a Python environment set up or if I need um, like Django or something like that, like I don't want to install all that garbage on my computer. I'm going to run a Docker container and, and just use it. Um, so I can totally see developers using this versus, hey, now I need this thing in production. Let's Kubernetesify it. I don't know. I have a different recollection of that. But because I remember it's like there was a period where we were going to Docker Swarm, but that was that very up. short lived. Very. Um, only because like we already knew that Kubernetes was the end goal anyways. But well, uh, Docker Swarm sort of with, lost, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I but know. I mean, there was a period of time where like people were advocating for, hey, let's develop in Docker Swarm and deploy to Kubernetes. And I was like, whoa no why would we do that there's got to be a way um so yeah so what's interesting to me is like these 51 percent that are using docker but not kubernetes where what's their production environment like is there a separate team that's doing it are they deploying to some sort of like azure container service or something you know or aws container that's running it um but even that's kubernetes there right like the the um eks I bet they're not using Kubernetes. I mean, think think about when we first started doing things like this, when we had like three tier systems we were working on that were like the front end, the middle tier, and the back end. 
you would basically use Docker to run your database server and you'd use Docker to run, you know, any other piece of middleware or something that you're doing just so you didn't have to install something like SQL server or Postgres or whatever. Right. And you could just kill it at the end of the day when you're done using it. I'd venture to say like a lot of people are still using Docker just so that they don't have to install a bunch of stuff. So it'll run the same in any environment, but then they deploy their code, the old fashioned, you know, yeah, I was going to say idea. that was purely a local dev story kind of situation yeah. that you were describing. Yeah, I think that's I think yeah. that's probably what you're going to see here. It's interesting, and the, the service I was trying to remember the name was uh, Azure Container Instances, where you can just give it a container and it'll run it, kind of like a one-off. Um, yeah, interesting. So yeah, maybe developers are using Docker locally and then not deploying it. I got to say though, if you if you are in the Orlando area and you're not already using uh, Scaffold and Kubernetes, you should seriously go check out this talk that Jay Z is going to give because I was 100%. thinking about this. I was thinking about this this week. Like, do you remember like what it used to be like when we would have to onboard a new hire? Oh, and it's man. like, okay, uh, here's a wiki page of all the things that you need to install. And then all of the different configurations that you need to make. And then, you know, here, go clone the repo here, make all these changes. And I think that that would be enough to let you run it locally. But if it's not, figure out how to fix it and then update the wiki article for the next person that comes behind you. Right. Like, right. you know, it was kind of, it wasn't the best onboarding experience by any stretch. Right. But as like a small team, a very small team, like, you know, it was the best we had time to put together. But now we're still a small team, but yet now it's like, hey, clone the repo and you can scaffold run and it'll build, it'll compile everything. You only needed scaffold and Docker installed, right? Maybe G Cloud, but, uh, you know, so three tools, it'll install everything or, or compile everything and build out the cluster and you could have like a running environment with with data that is unique to you by the way in an hour yeah yeah like well you know cuz okay you're making a dependency joke but <laughs> but yeah i mean that's that's pretty amazing compared to where like you know where we used to be so here's the thing and i fully agree if you are anywhere if you're within an hour hour and a half drive of orlando you should go see jay-z's talk because it really Heck yeah it can it can completely change how you develop and it will improve things a lot. There, there is a caveat and this reminds me of visual studio. Like you guys remember like when visual studio was your tool and, and before you got into build tools and all that kind of stuff, like you didn't know 90% of what it was doing behind the scenes, right? Like you just know that you went in there and code and you said run and, and it would miraculously run. Right. And it was a beautiful thing. Then you start evolving and you're like, well, I need build servers and I need all this kind of stuff. And you start understanding what Visual Studio is doing behind the scenes, right? Like it's running MS builds and doing all that kind of stuff. Well, I can say the same thing about Scaffold. It's amazing because it hides all the stuff from you, right? Like um, we happen to use Scaffold with like Helm charts. And so if you don't know what it's actually doing, then you just go in there and hit run and everything's good. But if some, if there's some sort of snag, then you have to understand that, Oh, this, you didn't have a helm chart installed or you didn't have helm installed or whatever. Like it's amazing because it allows you to do your job quicker. Um, but it also allows people to be lazy 
about understanding what they're working with, which is, I guess, good and bad, right? Like, I mean, there's tons of successful developers that do the same thing with Visual Studio. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but it doesn't cause you to scratch a layer deeper, I guess is what I'm getting at. I don't know. I mean, you're going to have developers at every level, right? No matter what your tech stack is, you're going to have, you know, the, the, you, you know, you could be a 20, you could, you could be in your 20th year of your software developer career and still be a junior developer, right? That's what I'm trying to do. You could be in your first year and be a senior developer. It's all about like, what you're putting into it, your attitude towards it, what you're you know going after and whatnot. So I say all that because regardless of your tech stack, you could have junior developers that aren't going to bother. They're not going to care to dig into the details. They're going to stay surface level. And then you're going to have the, the senior developers that are going to dive deep, trying to understand all the different things. I don't think that scaffold obfuscates that any more than, you know, visual studio or IntelliJ or anything else did agree. You know, I think it's there if you wanted to get into it. The, the thing that I love about it though, is that, you know, you can, you can bring up an environment to where that one simple statement of scaffold run can do the orchestration of spinning up a Postgres cluster with, you know, getting the database up to current state and getting data in it, same for SQL Server, same, you could do the same for uh, Kafka, uh, you know, Mongo, Elasticsearch, you could have various web servers spun up, various app servers spun up for whatever your needs are, uh, you know, Flink clusters, like you could, you could have this whole orchestration of all these different things, right? Basically, like what was the data center is now running you know, because you issued two words on the command line yeah. and, and as a new hire, you're like, boom, there it is. Like I have, I have Grafana with dashboards where I can see all the data that's coming in. There's a, you know, backed by Prometheus and you know, that that's, you know, in your joke of an hour. Right. But that's still, you know, that's the one time, right? Like, yeah. you know, after that, you know, you get to cache all those dependencies, but it's still it's like such an amazing place that we're in as a developer community, right? Man, we really need to do an episode on Kubernetes. We've talked about also doing an episode on Kafka and all that, but well, we've talked about Kubernetes before. Yeah, but I think that I think we've we've you know our we've gotten deeper on it since. Yeah, it's surface level type stuff that we've done, but you know, like when we first started getting into Kubernetes, I would almost like in hindsight <clears throat> at the time. Looking back, I'd have been like, this isn't a great time to to definitely be in it, right? But since operators have become such a thing, I think like now is a is a great time to get in there because the operators allow you to interface with technologies in a very standard way um, when they when they've provided them, right? Like an Elasticsearch operator or a Kafka operator or whatever, and it it actually makes things makes sense in a Kubernetes world, you know, like I guess one of the things that we talked about in the past is like, if you need to do a backup of a database, like in the past, you'd have to know all the database commands. You'd have to know how to connect everything, do all that. Now you can basically have a custom resource in Kubernetes that allows you to just do it easily. Um, if there's operator support for it. So like, I think it's matured to a point to where it just, it doesn't make sense not to be looking into it. If you're going to be running an environment with these type of things. 
Yeah. It, it goes along the lines of um, like every company being a technology company, whether they realize it or not. You know, every company is a data company, whether they realize it or not. And the companies that are going to be successful are the ones that realize that they are those two categories and like what they do to take advantage of technology and the data that they have about whatever their customers are and everything. And so like you could easily think that like, Oh, well those you know, Kubernetes doesn't fit my world, but it's like, uh, but it, maybe it does. And you just haven't like, you know, if you take a moment, step back, think about it. It might like now a given, like if you're like, well, I'm an iOS developer developing on uh iPhone, like, okay, yeah, I see where you might be coming from, but what if we step back and you're like, well, that app that you're writing on iOS is communicating to something on the back end, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the thing that, you know, you know, like don't don't you need to you need to not get into the mind where like you can't see the forest for the trees. Right. Right? So, I re- um, I remember back in the day us talking about when we were first learning Kubernetes that Chick-fil-A was running Kubernetes clusters locally at each at each location to pull data throughout the day, right? Like in and, and I assume that they were doing some sort of a bare metal type thing, but but yeah, I mean, they're not they're not a data company, right? Like they were they sold chicken sandwiches and and they found a reason to do it because it helped their business. Yeah, we we we've talked about Kubernetes a lot, but not as a deep dive. I mean, we did a, a community talk, which we haven't done those in forever on Docker's and and uh, Kubernetes. We did uh, is Kubernetes programming <laughs> that was episode one forty one. Uh, we we heart Kubernetes was episode one forty seven, and then there was a um, not a community talk, but like a a, a video that Joe did on getting started with uh, scaffold for Kubernetes back in 21. So, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's been definitely at the forefront of our minds for a while. Now you had a question here though, Jay Z about like, what does this tell you about the demographics when you were talking about like the, the frameworks here? Yep. Did we hit that question? Yeah, we kind of talked a little bit about it. Um, I just wanted to kind of not not forget that uh, you know it's not totally indicative of the programming world, and it's just the people that use Stack Overflow and answer the survey, which is you know something you can say about every survey. It's just kind of interesting to see uh, skews uh, heavily uh, .NET. I think there was a I forget which one it was. It might have been other frameworks that were not web frameworks uh like dotnet uh i forget they call it dotnet core dotnet was like separated and both were in the top five standard versus framework versus core something like that Uh, i'm looking for it now and then like spring was like down at like 11 percent. and uh i think that if that was like you know i I think spring and Java in general would have ranked higher on another survey well also too i was thinking like i wonder if you were to put this question out to like game developers, for example, right? Like, Oh yeah. You know, they, they would have a totally different view of it. So not only is the demographic skewed by the people that you're asking, but it's also skewed by like, well, what are like the majority out out of the world of developers, the majority of developers, like what's the Venn diagram of those, you know, where they, where they, where they fall. Right. And some developers might not ever touch, certain libraries or technologies because of the nature of the type of programming they do, which I guess goes against everything I was saying about Kubernetes and not getting lost in the forest. But 
Uh, yeah, you could totally run the space shuttle on Kubernetes. You could. So I found uh, the section I was talking about was other frameworks and libraries, and it's uh, you know basically non-web frameworks. And if you look at uh, really any of them, but I'm just going to pick the professional developers tab. Uh, .NET 5 plus is 27%, and .NET Framework 1 to 4.8 is 18%. Uh, so, you know, there's overlap between these two percentages, but it's just interesting of like the top five .NET is number one and number two. And then we get in NumPy, Pandas, and Spring is number five for professional developers. I have a hard time. I feel like I, I don't know the real demographics are between like .NET and Spring, but I feel like much closer if not Spring ahead. Yeah, Spring Spring's pretty popular. Hey, I, I meant to do this in the news, but I totally forgot. Um so first, I don't know if you guys saw or heard, but design pattern evangelist Jim Hummelstein, he's retiring. So, Woo! so everybody, if you haven't, I mean, he's he's been like I'll say part of the show for years, right? Like he's contributed tons of things, like in the Slack channel, comments on the website, whatever. So if you haven't, and um, the virtual happy hours, virtual happy hours, he's there on um, Saturdays. So if you haven't. Uh, you know, leave a comment on this show if you want, if, if you're not part of the Slack community and say, Hey, congrats. Um, if you're part of the Slack community, go over there and say hi to him and, and say congrats. Like he's, he's been amazing. And one other thing I wanted to share is Jamie, <laughs> GA Progman on, on, uh, our Slack channel. He had been teasing something on LinkedIn for a while. And I was like, what in the world? Like, he's like, I can't tell you yet. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. And I was like, man, he's been taking marketing classes. Well, he got awarded um, director of the year uh, for his, his RJJ software company. So, you know, congrats to him. I know that that dude works really hard, right? Like he, he does podcasts. He does, he edits podcasts. He does all kinds of stuff. Um, amazing with .NET core stuff. So, uh, also say congrats to him. If you get a chance, like he's, he's seriously a super dude in, in the programming community. So, um, again, I meant to do this up in the, in the news, but you know, better late than never, I guess. And that wraps up our delayed news section. And yep. yep. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, so let's get into the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we talked about this book uh, last time, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a, a teaser about it. So um, this is the, you know, unit testing principles, practices, and patterns book that uh, was that Bobby had shared out on the Slack community. And that I ended up picking up and, you know, I kind of put this in the in the mindset of like, okay, the art of unit testing versus uh, unit testing. We'll just call it triple P, three P, triple P, whatever. Um, I like it because I had long had this um, way of writing my unit tests that was definitely heavily influenced by uh, Roy Osherov and Phil Hack that. In the back, going way back, episode 54. Um, so Phil Hack had this way of like organizing your classes, your, your unit tests and classes and the, the names of all of that, such that in Visual Studio, the various drop downs would align to where you could easily see the first one would be like, here's the classes that I'm testing. And then if I pick one of those, I can see, 
uh, from a drop down here are the methods that I'm testing, right? And all of that had to do with like, you know, having classes within classes, uh, you know, and, and, whatnot in order to test that. So like you might have a class that is the class name. Then inside of that class name, you would have uh, classes that are the methods. And then inside of the method class, you would have all the different scenarios, right? And, you know, long ago, Roy Oshirov also said, hey, name your methods in a pattern such that you can actually see what it is. So it would be method under, under test underscore scenario underscore result. And for, I mean, we, we talked about that back in 2017, but that, that pattern was long before, like I, I've been doing that pattern long before that episode ever came out. Cause that already unit testing book was like more than a decade old, I believe. Um, and, and in fact, I remember, uh, Will from our Slack community, he and I had debated one time, because uh, we were talking about that and he, he kind of thought like, oh yeah, I do like that. Because the idea was that no matter what the test runner is, right, you can immediately see like, oh, I can see what's being tested. I can see the scenario that might have failed and whatnot and what was expected. Like, I don't have to go look at the code. I can see this from like, uh, if the test runner was a command line, if the test runner was a Team City or a Jenkins or whatever, right? And, and at the time, I remember Will and I got into this debate where it was like, oh, maybe even the class name should be, should, you know, prepent, be prepended to it. So it'd be like the class that's under test, underscore method, under test, underscore scenario, underscore um, result. So, and, and so all of that is to say like that was heavily influenced by, you know, Roy Usher of his his naming standard that he had advocated for back when that book came out, which in fairness, I think that book came out in like 2009. I don't know if one of you go on and check that, but I'm pretty sure that's when that book came out. So this book, the um, unit testing uh, 3P, uh, f- this book's fairly new. I forget exactly what the date of it is. I'm trying to look for it now while I run my mouth. 2009, by the way. Oh, so I had the other one, right? Okay. So this book came out in 2020, right? And he, uh, ooh, his name is Vladimir, and I will definitely mess this up. Korakov, I'm going to say, is how I would try to pronounce that. And I'm so sorry, Vladimir, if I uh, said that wrong. And actually, he'd probably say it's Vladimir, Vlad, Vladimir or something. No, uh, man, I'm messing it up even more. Anyway, I'm going to stop. So the he has totally changed my mind and convinced me of a, a better pattern. Where in, in things like JavaScript frameworks and Kotlin tests, for example, make this even better where I always kind of like, because of the Roy Osherov type of technique that I've been following f- since 2009, whenever I would see people that would write unit tests and you know, like how in Kotlin and various JavaScript frameworks, you could do like a back tick and then you could do this like free formed version of what you're testing and the name that would drive me up the wall when I would see those, those names. And I'm like, man, these people clearly did not read the art of unit testing. Right. But you know, whatever, like, you know, pick your battles. Right. And, and it so bothered me so much, but Vladimir, like he convinced me, like I've been doing it wrong and that those names are actually better purely because of this. 
what you're testing should not be the methods, right? You should be testing behaviors. I like that. And your method names should reflect the behavior that you're testing. And if you have to put the method name in there, then you're clearly being too low level. And he makes a good call out in the book where he's like, think about it like this. If you refactored that method, now you got to go and find all of those tests that had that name baked into it and rename those because a refactoring job in like uh, a resharper or something or IntelliJ, like you can pick it up in strings, but it's not going to change the method names where like that me- that name is like just part of the name. Does that make sense? So like if you had a method calculate, calculate underscore, blah, 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 it's not going to change all the methods that start with calculate because you renamed calculate to be like add or subtract, right? Or, or you know what I'm saying? So it, it like totally changed my whole perspective on like, okay, you should test behaviors, not, not individual methods, because then you're like looking for, for you're focusing more on what's the expected outcome here. And then if you think about it from that point of view, it's also begs the question of like, well, how, how much do you test? Like, are you focusing on testing? Is your focus of testing on the wrong thing? Like if you're only trying to get to like a 99% code coverage or something like that, or, or percentage, then you might write a bunch of tests just for the sake of having the test. But you know, that test doesn't mean that the, the bug that there, the, the software is bug free just means that you're like trying to get to some point and you're not focusing on the behaviors necessarily in that result. So I, I frame that because another one of the takeaways that I've had for, you know, a, a decade and a half, I guess, you know, almost was that in the art of unit testing, uh, Otrove also makes a strong case, and this is by by the way, I'm by no means trying to bash uh, that 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 author in that book. Like it was great for its time, you know, um, and and everything. I'm well. It's been 14 years ago. Things change, evolve. Yeah, but right? I, I just want to make sure that the way I'm stating this doesn't sound like I'm bashing him because I totally like yeah. I would fanboy out if I met him. <clears throat> Actually, I think I did meet him, and like the. Um, you know, cause I, I truly love that still have like a soft spot in my heart for that book. Right. But, but one of the takeaways that I have, he, he made a strong case for like, you should only assert one thing in your test. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I would see a, I would see somebody write a test where they had multiple asserts and then they would, you know, move on. I was just like, I would die a little bit inside every time. And I, and in fact, I would even like comment back on PRs or hit them up personally and be like, Hey, I can't even tell what you're testing here, man. What what are you doing? Like, there's so many things that you're asserting. Like, what's the thing that you're testing? And I say that because like in Vladimir's book, he makes the point of like, Hey, it's okay. If you have uh multiple, multiple asserts, what's what matters is as long as those asserts are part of the same behavior, then you're still asserting the behavior, Right. So that's still not a bad thing, right? Yes. It could be bad if you, what you're doing is like you arrange some things, assert, then you do some acts, and then you do some more asserts. Like that's that could still be wrong because like I've seen things where like people are, will do asserts as part of their act, 
And and by the way, the act arrange assert pattern of writing unit tests or integration tests, even Vladimir still advocates for like that's yes. the triple A is still the, the way to go, right? But your asserts should be at the end. So if you're asserting before, that still should be a code smell, right? But but he he convinced me that like having multiple asserts in in the uh in your test is is okay. But he also makes this strong case for like if you can either either you write your methods in a fluent style or you use a library that you lets you do a fluent style syntax. So that rather saying like assert.true, you could write something like orders dot should be blah 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 blah. Right. So that you can make your your assert statements read like a sentence. And then as a result of doing that, you could dot chain them together like orders dot should be, you know, more than one dot should be of this value or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like um, customer dot first name should not be null dot and, you know, whatever last name should not be null. And so at any rate, so I say all that as a, as a teaser to this book, unit testing principles, patterns, wait, no, I said that wrong. Unit testing principles, practices, and patterns uh, that if you haven't checked out this book, you know, there's, there's your teaser of, uh, you know, there, there's a lot more that he goes into too, by the way, but I, I thought that was an interesting takeaway that definitely conflicted with things that I had talked about in previous episodes and has changed my, my ways. And we will have a link in the show and that is an affiliate link. So if you, if you do go buy it, you know, we will get a little tiny change from it. So that would be appreciated if you do that. And yeah. hey, I do want to call out. It is actually after eleven a.m., <laughs> so, so we made it. <laughs> we've been up that long, right? Yeah, we've made it. Yeah, this is ridiculous. <clears throat> I will say I'm very happy to hear about the asserts. That's one thing that always uh, bugged me. Like, there's tons of I have tests where I, I don't know. I'll get something I'm like, let me check that the status is good, and or, or uh, let me say it the other way. Uh, I'll verify that the status is bad and that an error message was returned. And that is two asserts. It, you know, it totally makes sense to me that that is one thing that you're still testing. You're just kind of being thorough about it. There's no way I want to write two tests for that. So I'm kind of, I'm happy to hear that it, uh, them say that. And also that it was just spoken well. I was so, I, I was such a stickler though, that where there would be situations, maybe not like that exact example that you just gave, but there'd be situations to where I would have two things that I wanted to test. And I thought I was doing the right thing by like, I would actually write two tests to make it clear that this test is testing for condition one and this test is testing for condition two. But really to your point and to Vladimir's point, one test could have tested both conditions because it's a behavior you're looking for. But, not- but, yeah. But because of the, but because you know, the way I was naming it, it wouldn't have been clear that I was of what I was going for in, in his point about like, you know, name your methods to be like behavior based. And, you know, I called out the back tick naming scheme that you can do in, in some JavaScript frameworks and in Kotlin, this book is not using that type of naming convention. Cause the, the examples that he gives in the book are C sharp based, which so they're like underscores he's using and his stuff. Yeah. 
So I say that because don't let that be the turnoff. Like everything in this book is applicable to no matter to any language you use. It just happens to be like, you know, if you were going to author a book, what language are you going to use? Well, whatever language you pick, somebody's going to take issue with. Right. He just happened to pick C sharp. So, you know, but it's a, it was a great book. Um, I highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, so check it out. And that's not even my tip of the week. So pff, we're only going up from here. Check it out. Um, all right. So with that, we'll have plenty of uh, links and the resources we like. And we now head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's 11 a.m. <laughs> all right. Well, somewhere. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I was interested in just using less social media kind of apps anyway. Like I've gotten a Twitter. I wasn't using Facebook anyway. My MySpace has been uh, taken over and is now sending out diet tips and uh, nugenics topics, whatever. Like, I don't know. If you if you need some pills, somebody's uh, got affiliate links that uh, you can use on my MySpace. Sorry about that. Um, but, uh, I went to look to see what kind of, uh, tools were out there for kind of blocking. So if I wanted to say, for example, block my social media, uh, usage between hours of 6am and 10am to make sure that I don't like go into a, a trance when I wake up and drink my coffee in the mornings, then, uh, I wanted to see what my options were. And I did find a list of several of them. I, uh, got overwhelmed and didn't install any of them. I just updated my host <laughs> file. So now I can't get to any of them. Uh, and I uninstalled the apps on my phone. Uh, but I am interested in checking out some of the apps. So I want to kind of like read through these. Uh, privacy is a big concern. I don't know what the best one is. So really, this is not much of a tip. It's more of a question. If you have an app that you can recommend that isn't going to like steal my bank account info, uh, but will also let me uh, schedule <laughs> websites to not be available at certain times, I would love to hear it. Uh, but yeah, I really don't want uh, to install a uh, keylogger. So no links, please. Pretty cool. Oh, but I will have a link to uh, the a list of apps that I was going to check out in the show notes. I always find these type of self-control um, tips interesting, like psychologically. <laughs> like, I just don't go to them. But. Well, for me, it's funny. Like, I'll, like sometimes I'll do, you know, control T or whatever to open up a new tab. And my fingers will automatically just start typing Reddit. And it'd be like, I just went there like five minutes ago. I <laughs> shut the tab. I was deciding to go pay my mortgage or something. And uh, somehow I'm typing Reddit again. Like, what the heck? Uh, that's funny. And that's why they have the password to your bank account. That's yeah. right. Um, Dang yeah, it. I'm with Alan, though. I'm just like, just delete the app and don't go. Yeah. The browser, though. So, post yeah, just don't go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I thought, I'm, I guess I misunderstood at the time, or maybe I remember wrong, but I thought that the, I said that I thought that the programmer humor subreddit had been um, had gone dark there for a while, but maybe what Mike RG meant was just like, hey, if you're no longer going to Reddit anymore, so here you go, Jay Z. Uh, he had shared out programmerhumor.io, so if you still wanted to get all your programming humor, you could you know find a place that wasn't uh, you know Reddit in case if they're down or it went private or maybe I'm mistaken, but. Aside from that, do you remember we've talked about like building PCs and the resources that are out there for that? When's the last time you guys built a PC? A couple of years ago. Yeah, it's been a few. And you say couple as in like think people are going to assume you mean two to three, but it's really been longer than that. Whenever Not we think me. about it. Favorite builds. Not for me. When, when, you when, did everything? When yeah, did I, I had to um, 
I had screwed up and bent a, ch- a, a pin on one of my CPUs, and I had to go buy a new motherboard, new processor, and at the same time, I was like, sure, I'm going to go ahead and buy some more stuff for it. So, yeah, it's been about two years ago. It was during COVID. So, so I bring this up because, like, do you remember the days of mm, – wow, this is going to sound – like I'm Alan's age. Do you remember the days of when you would have to, (laughs) when you would have to like, uh, you know, look at like magazines or catalogs or whatever, like, you know, the parts and be like, okay, I want that, but I want to pair it with that. Uh, Something Jay-Z told me about. Oh, okay. Um, but do you remember what I'm talking about though? Like, you know, like building your own PC from scratch, like you put some effort into it. Right. But we have evolved so much. And I don't remember if we've talked about this before. Um, I can search in the background if we have. But uh, the the PC builders now are insanely awesome. So, like, mm-hmm. where I bring this up because my son's computer, his power supply died. And we were already thinking about, like, well, you know, you probably need to rebuild it and, you know, start shopping around for some stuff. The PC builders that are out there now the sites that are out there now are just crazy. So like what, what started this was we were looking at the Corsair one, which they have one that not only includes Corsair parts, but like just generically other parts with prices. And the cool thing about it is like, you actually see like pictures of the various components that you're picking. And it doesn't have to be components that are, it's not like current components that are only currently available. You can be like, well, I want to reuse my case and all that. Well, uh, in doing so, I'm pretty sure we've talked about pre PC part picker before. I'm I'm fairly certain. Did we? Okay. It it was either you or Jay Z that brought it up. I mean, it sounds familiar. Um, the pragmatic programmer episode one Oh eight is where we talked about PC part picker. Let's see a minute. Yeah. So, so, what year was that? 108? I mean, we're at like what? 109 now? We're that was <laughs> that was that was just before the pandemic, June of 2019. God. I don't remember what I said then about it, but oh my, it's so cool because they'll they'll have like here's builds that are already out there, like you could start from, but you could also see like other user submitted builds and like instantly see like well what would it cost? to build that thing. Oh, let me change out the, the case. And by the way, it's got a compatibility finder. So if you picked a CPU that isn't compatible with the motherboard, you're going to know like right away, like, Oh, Nope, that won't work. Um, it is so fantastic that we now have this capability. Like it's so easy to build. Like if it almost begs a question, like why would you even bother to buy a store bought uh, desktop PC, I can get. A, I can understand a, a, a. I can understand a laptop, but if you are one of us, like if you are not like our parents, right? Like if you are into computing, <laughs> I know your mom's building computers. I didn't mean it. I, I didn't mean a jab at her, but you know, all respect, Mrs. Underwood. But, uh, but you know, like. If you're, if you're in this world, like, why wouldn't you? It's so simple to just see like, what's it, what the parts are and what, what's what fit, what's going to work together, you know? And, and by the way, PC part picker will tell you like, Hey, here's the, uh, of the major sites, like a, an Amazon, UAG, 
uh, Best Buy or B and H. Like here's where you can get it for the cheapest price, right? So great. Now the one thing that I do call out that you have to be aware of is that you might pick a part that is like maybe out of stock, you know, like it's no longer available. And so it'll be like, well, that's the part you picked and here's the lowest price that you can get it at, but you might not be able to get that part for like three months or something. So you do have to like, you know, trust, but verify. Right. Okay. So, so I actually want to answer that question. So I, first I am a huge fan of building your own, right? Like I, I, I would not buy a store bought. However, there are things that you that you may not account for when you're doing this. So if if you want to do this, totally do it. Um, first piece of advice: go to somewhere like CPU Benchmark and find out which CPU you want first. Right, like that's where you need to start because everything else basically chains down from that. But this is where things can fall apart for you, and we've probably all done it at some point. One, you may not be thinking about the size of your case. When, when you start doing this, so you might pick a cooler that's the most awesome cooler on the planet, but it's too big for your case, or you might pick a video card that's too long for your case, or you might it, like, there's all kinds of things that you can do wrong that technically work with all the components you've chosen, but won't necessarily work in the build that you're trying to do. So that's, that's one thing on um, two. And this is, this is where some off the shelf builds work out better for people that don't want to screw with this is they might just be quieter, right? Like if you were to just an example, if you were to go buy a CPU that came boxed with the CPU fan automatically, you think, Oh, that's awesome. I'm getting two for one. Well, what you don't realize is when that CPU is under load, that fan sounds like a screaming engine, right? Like it's, it's super loud. So there's all sorts of things that you start having to worry about itself. Technically, to make this build what you want it to be. Whereas if you just go and listen to one in a store and it's silent, then you're like, all right, cool. That's what I want. Um, so there's those things on the flip side. I love doing it, but also know that you're going to have two to three hours in putting the components together, getting it booted up, tucking all the wires, making everything look the way that you want it to. And all that kind of stuff, as opposed to just going buying something in the store, coming home, taking it out of the box and plugging it up. So for the power user, absolutely. I love this, but those, those, at least in my head, those are the reasons why I'd be like, yeah, just go buy the thing. If if you don't want to worry about anything and you just want something to be able to run, go buy it and be done with it. But then you're probably going to, you're probably the type that's just going to buy a laptop anyways. Uh, it depends if you're a gamer, probably maybe not because the equivalent laptop that's going to run those games is going to be two times the price of, of a desktop. Right. So I, I don't know. It's, it's all situational, but hey, I'm with you, right? Like if okay. I'm, if you're a gamer though, like what kind of gamer isn't building their own PC? Oh, dude, tons of them, man. There's lots of companies out there that give you prepackaged, you know, um, whatever NVIDIA graphics cards and everything that, you know, they go, they pay $1,500. They're, better. Huh? But they're not good enough. You know, I would, to- I am totally the kind of person that would pay an extra, I don't know, $500 if you would just assemble the thing and let me pick the parts or just have the parts, you know, that, that are good stuff. Like so many, uh, so many jobs, like, uh, if you go look at like gamer rigs or whatever on a, a website, it's like not great components, but it'll have a good, uh, hard drive and it'll have a good graphics card. Like, not like I want good everything. Like, right. Just, yeah. I want to know the motherboard. I want to know the RAM. I want to know all of it. And it, 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 that's what I'm saying. Like when you're a power user and, and you kind of love this stuff, 
Absolutely, you're going to do it. But again, if you want to go down this road, I say start with the CPU because that determines the motherboard, the type of RAM, everything from that point. Like you don't want to start with anything other than the CPU if you're going that route. It's totally awesome too because like in the, like you mentioned RAM, for example, like when you're picking your RAM, it'll show you like, hey, these are the ones compatible with your motherboard and you could sort it by like, oh, I want to focus on, uh, you know, I need to be price conscious or I want to, I want to be speed conscious. Like which ones are going to give me the most speed? Like, you know, Oh, I want to, I want to filter it out cause I care about aesthetically. So I want to be able to sort by, you know, I want to be able to like only see like a specific color or whatever. So it's, uh, I don't know. I just think that like, it's such a great resource that is out there. I'm so happy that it exists. Oh, PC part pick part picker is amazing. And, and here's the thing though, it's an amazing set of rabbit holes you're gonna go down because you're gonna start looking at RAM and you're gonna be like, well, what's the difference between this 16 gig stick and this one? Then you're gonna get into latencies and timings and then you're like, well, what's that mean? And so if you like that kind of stuff, this is for you. <laughs> Can you I overclock it? Yeah. If you don't like this stuff, go buy a computer off the shelf and be done with it. Oh now I see that somebody put this link out there that my son was also talking about the um who who put this one out here? Somebody want to talk about it? Jay Z did the Steam. Oh yeah, yeah. I just threw it out there. That, uh, that's what I thought you were going to mention. So this is actually uh, kind of a game that I've heard a lot about called uh, PC Building Simulator, where you can, uh, go through and it's actually it's like a 3D view where you like take the screws off, take the case out, replace the RAM. Um, it's got various different ways you can do it, but it uses some real parts. Like I don't know, like oh, if they're my. licensed or whatever. Yeah, they um, so have the like parts from AMD and yeah. If you go look at the bundle, uh, there's like a bundle version. You can get like the fractal designs, the EVGA, Aurorus, you know, so there's different, uh, some of the companies that are, you know, s- supporting that. Dude, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, what's funny, it's got different modes. So there's one mode where it's like story mode where you like run your own business and you like like repair you know PCs and make more and more money. But you can also just build your dream PC and kind of pick the parts that they have and the fans and the colors and like the case that you want and put it together. It's also got like a learning mode where it kind of teaches you a little bit about like RAM slots and power and how much how to tell my, how much power you need and stuff like that. Is this cool. free? Nope. No. Uh, no, 20 bucks it's 20 bucks and then the bundle is like 68 that's amazing yeah, and people love it it's really popular uh if uh 100 no sorry forty thousand reviews about and it's very positive see that's what i always look at the reviews yep very yeah. positive all right i love it now i want to go build something thanks outlaw my wife's gonna kill me yeah oh. yeah well you're welcome i mean <laughs> it's awesome and you can you know save some money i will say uh just to wrap that up on the pc part picker which I can't think Alan kind of hinted at. They do have a disclaimer that some physical constraints aren't currently um, checked. So uh, they specifically call out like CPU and cooler and Ram clearances. But in Alan's example, he mentioned like, Hey, your cooler might not fit because of your, uh, your, your GPU, your choice of GPU in your case. And in fact, when I built my current machine, which is now like, you know, ancient, cause I built that, in 19, I think um, the original case that I had wanted to use said like, you know, by the, by the books, it was like, this is supposed to fit. And even in the documentation, this is supposed to fit. But what I didn't take into consideration was the specific liquid cooling, um, the, the radiator with the fans. Mm-hmm. 
it wouldn't fit where I wanted to fit it uh, with the GPU. And if I want, and I couldn't put it above the um, motherboard, you know, to, to vent out the top of the case because of clearance to the Ram. And so it was like, you know, on paper, it said it was going to match, but yet it really didn't. Hey, hey, and one last thing to tack on there as well is the, um, God, I just had it in my head, the motherboard. So, so look at the reviews of the things because you may not even realize that if you're going after like a gaming setup, like a lot of these graphics cards now are two slots or some of them take up three, um, read reviews on the motherboards because they may say that, Hey, things are too cramped, right? Like your, your, uh, PCI slot is too close to your CPU or whatever. So, you know, go look at them just because it says everything's going to work. It may not work for what you're planning on doing with it. So, you know, at least the motherboard, go look at reviews on, on how things fit together in it. Yeah. And I, I included a link for like, if you wanted to see like what I was talking about with the, the case that I had wanted and where I ended up on the build that I did back in 19. And also, by the way, you should just get the uh, Ryzen 7950X. <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous. Um, so, all right, cool. And now I want to go build something. Um, yeah. So I had a couple that that actually, based off the week of fun that Jay-Z was talking about earlier with the Java and all that kind of garbage. So there are times that you want to – um, redirect the output of whatever's coming across into a file, right? Because it's too big and it's going to blow out your buffer, right? Like let's say that you're listing a set of files off, off a drive somewhere and there's a thousand files in it. Well, if you just do LS on it, then, you know, it's going to blow through your buffer in your terminal, your standard out. Right. And so a lot of times what you'll do is you'll just redirect that to a file so that you can list all that stuff there and keep it. Well, it's always bugged me, and I've thought about it several times, and I just never really went to research it. Well, what if I still want to see them, you know, on the screen? Because usually if you redirect, right, like let's say ls and then pipe or not pipe and then greater than and then the file name, the ls is going to run until it's done, and you're not going to see anything happen on screen, which drives me crazy sometimes. Like I just want to know that something's actually happening. Well, there is actually a command in Linux that I didn't know about until the other day uh, called T, T-E-E. And I have a link here to the Geeks for Geeks articles with it, but it's designed to do exactly what you want. And they called it T as in like a plumber's T. Um, whenever you want water to go in two different directions, you create a T pipe, right? Um, and that's why they named it this. And this will allow you to do the output to standard out like you normally would, but it'll also redirect to a file at the same time. So if you're like me and you want to see it and you also want it in a file, this is amazing. So check that out. Um, I feel like a noob for not knowing that. I feel like probably all you other guys knew about it and just didn't tell me. Well, I was curious when and you brought, I wasn't going to bring it up quite like that bad. Wow. Like, <laughs> Cause we use this. Oh, do we? Yeah. That's why I was like, script somewhere. I was like, huh, when your feet, like, does he know that we use it or does he not? Uh-uh. Like, that's how it Never seen out, it. So. Yeah. Never seen it. No. Um, in some of our Docker files, we're, oh, okay. we're using it for some of our builds. So, so that frustrating to do things. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't look at all the scripts. So yes, I, I learned, I learned a lot something. Of scripts. Huh? A lot of scripts to look at. Yeah. There are a lot of scripts to look at. 
All right. And then this other one. So this came up. I told you about the, 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 you know, cluster that we were building out, right? Like (laughs) we got a little bit. Yeah. We got a little bit. Um, all right. So this other one came because I think as developers, a lot of times we just think in whatever we've done previously or recently. Right. And JQ is one of those things that drives me a little bit insane. So we've mentioned it on the show before. I love JQ because it allows you to do things with JSON, um, you know, data on a shell command that otherwise you need a programming language for, which is awesome. If you're trying to write shell scripts to do things like, like what we're talking about in some sort of pipeline or, or whatever. However, it's not the best if you just get a JSON blob and you want to be able to extract some data from it. Like I don't want to jack with JQ. There's no way to debug it. It's, it's kind of nasty. The syntax is kind of hairy. And I was thinking learning curve, man, the learning curve is ridiculous. Now that's where chat GPT can help you out. You could basically say like, Hey, I want to output this thing from here and it'll probably spit out the, the script for you. But the other day I had a nasty chunk of of JSON that I needed to parse. And I was like, you know what? Why am I even thinking about JQ? It doesn't make sense. JavaScript is like perfect for this. You can easily in visual studio code, you can just create a .js file and then it'll give you the ability to run it or debug it directly in visual studio code. Like there's no reason to go through the madness that is JQ. Now there are two things that that, implies though you either have node.js installed or there is a plugin for visual studio code called code runner that has 19.99 million downloads uh, with four and a half stars that will allow you to run all kinds of code fragments c c plus plus java javascript php python Perl, blah the, the, there's a huge list of these things so Basically, what I'm saying is, if you know how to do it easily in something like JavaScript, which is perfect for JSON, because you can basically say, hey, here's my blob, give me the keys in this blob, done. Like, it's it's seriously a, a two-minute exercise instead of a 45-minute bash your head against the, the desk on, on JQ. Do it that way. It's super easy, and it gives you a debug prompt that you can actually put breakpoints in from your simple JavaScript script. So that's my other tip. Make your life a little bit easier. Very cool. Um, yeah, so I hadn't even thought about using JQ or uh, ChatGPT as my documentation interpreter. Oh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Good. That should be the tip of the summarize. week right there. Yeah, summarize. It's it's amazing, dude. It, it really, it yeah, you can do lots of stuff, simple things or not so simple things just by asking it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, subscribe. We're on places. Um, yeah. What, would you have something to say there, Alan? No. Just uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't do it again. <laughs> I got my body temperature goes up like five degrees every time you do. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Are you twitching? A little bit. Do you need your medication? A little bit. Hey, hey, this is episode 212, though. So go to codingblocks.net slash episode 212 and leave a, a congrats or thank you or hi to Jim and Jamie. 
Okay, I guess I'm gonna go. So, um, we got a uh, Twitter at CodingBox. Also, we got that website, CodingBox.net. Uh, we got social links at the top of the page. And by the way, if you go to CodingBox.net/slash/swag, uh, we got some stickers and some other stuff up there that you can find. Uh, it's if you want to get your stuff mammogrammed, you can do that uh, right there. <laughs> mammogram. <laughs> mammogram. That's we're coining that. That's a new Shakespearean type word. 